The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. This week, I'm so excited to be speaking with Dr. Nehemiah Mabry. He is a graduate of Oakwood University, and he went on to uh, complete his master's degree in civil engineering at the University of Alabama in Huntsville before completing a PhD in structural engineering and mechanics at North Carolina State University. Since then, he has been extremely influential on social media and working to increase exposure of upcoming students to STEM fields, and he is a founder and CEO of STEM Media Incorporated. Dr. Mabry, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, Doc. Thanks for, thanks for the invitation. Oh, man. I, I, I'd be sweating bullets trying to read through your uh, your resume and CV. Very impressive. And listen, listen, you've had a lot of medical doctors on here, so I, I sometimes feel the same way whenever I read, you know, those bios. <laughs> So, Dr. Mabry, when you were attending Oakwood, you're actually the second guest I've had from uh, Oakwood University. You're the first uh, PhD in engineering. When you were at Oakwood Mm -hmm. University, did you know that you're going to go on to earn a PhD and become an engineer? No, I did not. No, I did not at all. Engineering was what I was pursuing, but at the time, graduate school of any sort was not in my plan. I thought I would graduate. I knew I would move on to the University of Alabama Huntsville because I was in a dual degree program. So Oakwood was technically where I got an applied math degree and I would get my civil bachelor's, civil engineering bachelor's degree from UAH. Um, I thought I would get a job after that. I thought after that it was, uh, you know, onto the workforce, nine to five, collect the paycheck. And what did that uh, change for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that changed for me, man. When I graduated, to be honest, first, uh, and what they call the Great Recession, you know, yeah. um, 2009, the peak of unemployment literally happened that summer. So I was, uh, you know, out looking for a job while recruiters themselves were telling me <laughs> that they, they don't know how secure their job was. Wow. So that was really interesting. So um, for me, having had experience at NASA at the time, I found out about this graduate student research uh, program fellowship, brother. And um, I heard about it and I said, okay, here's an opportunity to have my master's paid for. So in my mind, I was just going to buy myself two more years until the employment situation could could rectify itself. But then as I got to the end of my master's degree, that's when I said, okay, um, here's this opportunity. NASA said, hey, we'll give you one year toward a a PhD. And at that point when I said, okay, let me go all the way. Let me take this thing as far as you can go. I had found a research topic I was interested in. And so that's where my, my, my perspective changed. Nice. So let's break this down a little, little deeper. Coming out of Oakwood, so you had a bachelor's degree in applied mathematics. What is? Can you kind of mm-hmm. describe that for us? Yeah. So applied mathematics is it, it's like a math degree, but it skews a little bit more towards some of the practical classes of math. So you could get into classes like you know real analysis. I think was one that I didn't hesitate because it was a bit too theoretical. Um, but we take a lot of like mathematics for physicists and scientists and really dive into some of the statistics and things that um, find their way into a lot of the work we do in the field. So it wasn't quite theoretical as research can tend to get, um, but also it was very complementary to the fact that I was going to be doing an engineering program anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, applied math was a degree program that I was in at, at Oakwood. 
And also it doesn't have like a formal, formal engineering program. So again, it's, it's partnered. Gotcha. And then when it comes to civil engineering, so we got, you got to talk like I'm in sixth grade. What is civil engineering? Oh, <laughs> no doubt, man. Yeah. So civil <laughs> engineering is the field of engineering that, that deals with um, everything we use on a day-to-day basis in our cities, right? So our roads, our bridges, uh, you know, our, our power grids, our, our water systems, right? Everything we, we depend on, um, that falls within uh, civil civil engineering, your transportation, your buildings, you know, those are civil engineering categories. And the reason why I chose civil engineering, because I knew I wanted to do engineering. Um, I was exposed to it through my, my NASA internships, but it has an impact directly on people's lives. So I always liked the idea of, you know, one day driving by something or pointing to something and say, hey, I designed that. Oh, yeah, I was a part of that, you know. So that's what civil engineering is. And it's pretty broad. You know, it gets very detailed as I did as I continued on. But that's it in a nutshell. Gotcha. And that master's program was one year or two years? Two years. Two-year master's program. Gotcha. So where in undergrad and your master's program did your time with NASA start? Oh, man, I actually started with NASA in high school, believe it or not. Wow. That was my first. Yeah, my first exposure to engineering was the beginning of that relationship. So my junior year as 11th grade, I found out about this program called the Summer High School Research Apprenticeship Program at NASA Marshall Space Flight Center down in Huntsville, Alabama. I applied to it really at the encouragement of folks like my father who told me an engineer might be a good fit. And um, I enjoyed it so much then as a high schooler that I said, let me go back, which was right after I graduated high school. And just volunteer. And so I volunteered, worked in the lab, and ironically, you know, I did more work as a volunteer than I did <laughs> as a as a paid intern. <laughs> Funny how that works. Um, but that, yeah, it, it was crazy, right? Like, but but nevertheless, I needed it. You know, it's always for the benefit when you get those internships um, early on, because really, you, you're getting exposed and you're getting a clearer picture of what you want to do with your life, right? For anybody listening, you know, sometimes it's not always about the paycheck at first. It's about positioning yourself because that gave me an opportunity that to then um, lead into a, a college program, right. a college internship program. So my freshman and sophomore year, I was right back out there. This time I'm part of another paid summer internship program. And about my junior year again in college is when, um, you know, I had developed a relationship with a mentor there and they found sort of a program that would allow me to work year round. And so I sort of converted from like a intern to like a almost full time, you know, just below full time apprentice hmm. uh, there halfway through college. Yeah, that's that's crazy how one little exposure in 11th grade has essentially blossomed and, and launched your entire career. Entire career, man. Entire career. Because, again, that led to, you know, my my graduate school being paid, um, which led me to the Ph.D. Yeah. So a lot a lot is connected to that. Just taking advantage of that opportunity. And it uh, never hurts to have NASA on your CV. Oh, man, let me tell you, I'm, <laughs> that's not leaving. No matter how many jobs I get, <laughs> they're going to know where I started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so coming out of your master's program, you went to North Carolina State University where you earned your Ph.D. Mm-hmm. in structural engineering and mechanics. Can you describe yeah. structural engineering and mechanics for us? Yeah, absolutely. So structural engineering you know, a subset now of civil engineering. As you know, the higher you go, the more specified you kind of gotcha, get. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and, and so many different fields. And structural engineering was what I chose because 
there was a time where I was quite um, interested in architecture and designing things of that nature. So in my mind, you know, structural engineering was similar to that. And I wouldn't say that it's the same. It's it's connected, right? Structural engineers work with architects, but it's definitely more number-driven on the engineering side, which is what I did. So we we evolve ourselves in making sure we know how to calculate how much weight a structure is going to need to carry, what are the different types of loads, be it a moving load, a a permanent or dead load, as we call it, Um, you know, wind, seismic, which is earthquake. So we look at all these different elements as well as the fact that different materials respond differently to environmental conditions. And so being able to determine what material is going to have to carry what type of load and, you know, what are the shapes and sizes necessary so that this thing can be sound and stable in the most efficient way possible. All right. So that's structural engineering. And mechanics gets a little bit more deeper into like, all right, how are these materials uh, behaving within themselves? All right. How is the fiber of the wood? distributing the load of the forces or how is the joints and the connection transferring stress from one side to another side, much like, you know, anybody who will be looking at the skeletal system, mm, mm-hmm. maybe analyzing, you know? Oh, it's so fascinating. Uh, a lot of people don't know. So I actually worked construction for like four years through high school and parts of college. Uh, get out. So it was always fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating to like know how things are built or kind of, and you know, on an even deeper level than, than, than that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and how long was the PhD program? I, I did four years, man. I did four years, which was good. You know, like, you know, I, there are times where, you know, programs can take longer. And I did already have a master's, so it's not like I was foreign to research at that point, foreign to, you know, creating experimental programs. Because, you know, that's what it's all about in our field, you know, deciding what you're going to study and developing some experiment, a set of experiments um, that you're going to conduct that will shed light into a t- specific topic. And so it took hmm. me four years. So, so what, man, experimental projects. So what did you, uh, what were some of the experiments that you did? And I guess what was your dissertation and, and thesis and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So without getting uh, 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 jargon heavy on that <laughs> exact title, <laughs> but I'll say my general area of research was structural health monitoring. So structural health monitoring of, composite materials. So those two areas, the intersection of them both, which, which uh, to break that part down for you, you know, if you go to, uh, you know, a doctor and the doctor says, you know, where does it hurt? Kind of ask you to get some symptoms. You know, you can kind of through your explaining what you're experiencing, lead a physician, you know, like yourself to, to maybe get a better understanding of what the problems might be. Right. Well, you know, our structures don't have that, that same ability to talk, but uh, we are able to embed them with sensors and use other like non-destructive evaluation methods to get an idea of what symptoms are taking place. That makes sense. So this field of structural health monitoring allows us as engineers to get a better idea of where the structures may be compromised, where defects may be, where maintenance may need to occur. And so that's, that's one, one major part of the kind of my niche, but I did that with structures involving a specific material. And that's why I said composite materials, Mm. Uh, more particularly being like carbon fiber. So these are like uh, lightweight materials that we can use to repair structures and um, not add a whole lot of weight to it, though we are trying to add strength. And so structural health monitoring, being able to determine where the defect, where things are compromised and structures that have been repaired or even built with, with the composite carbon composite material. 
So if I understand this correctly, you'll go to, say, a building or a bridge and you can put sensors on it or something and that tells you the health of the structure? Yeah, yeah, you can put sensors on it and there's so many different types of sensors. My In my particular area, it, it was more so, hey, we need to repair this structure. We need to repair this bridge. Here's how we're going to repair it. And so we're going to embed something in our repairing. We're going to basically anticipate ways that we want to look at how it gets weaker. Because, you know, when you repair something, you know, the questions remain, you know, is it as strong as it was? Will that repair last as long as the original, you know, things of that nature? And so I was doing experiments where we were intentionally defecting structures, then repairing it, right? And then using our experimental process through our sensors and in our thermal monitoring, things of that nature to say, hey, has this repair um, lasted or is it is it growing? Is it being deteriorated at a greater rate than it was prior to when it was defected? No, dude, that, that is so cool. So um, before we move on, I, I got so many more questions. I, I won't uh, take you through all the details. So are you building like how big are the structures that you're building to test your theories on? Oh, man. So, you know, our lab, we have what we call a constructive facilities lab. So we we could actually test full-scale beams that come from a bridge no that way. people are driving over. Yeah. Um, however, my particular deep dissertation, though, involves a number of small beams. So, like, little small concrete beams that we made, I would say they were, what, just a couple of feet long, um, six by six, right? So we did more small-scale that led into my dissertation and my, my high volume data. But in our lab, again, we were able to at least do some one-off testing on some larger life-size full-scale beams. Well, I, I am, uh, I'm floored. That is uh, super incredible. <laughs> and it makes, it makes sense now that when I was going through your social media, I ran across an interview you did where you broke down mm-hmm. the milk crate challenge and explained why <laughs> it was so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're listening, check out uh, Dr. Mabry's Instagram. It's Nehemiah Mabry. At least that's where I found it. Um, and he has a, mm-hmm. a video where he breaks it down. Is that where else can they find this uh, video? Yeah, it's, it's on Wired, the magazine, the, the um, media outlet Wired that does a lot of science and tech, pop science and tech. Um, so it's on their YouTube channel. The full video is there. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd have to uh, evaluate the structural integrity of milk crates? You know, I, I never thought I would have to do it in a convincing manner. You know, like I never <laughs> thought I would have to do it because people were, were you know, <laughs> were climbing them. But, you know, you never know. We can always predict what our careers will bring, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, full circle because representation, as you know, matters so much. So the fact that someone mm-hmm. that looks like you is at mm-hmm. this incredible level of education and able to speak eloquently and intelligently on mm-hmm. a a activity that was causing great harm to our community um that, that definitely resonated <laughs> with me yeah 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 you know i, I think that's why they, they reached out <laughs> and um you know and, and it's not even you know my, my biggest thing just to kind of i guess give a little honestly my thought process going in was like you know it's important for us as doctors as, as people who are educated in our community to educate our community but also not like try to speak as if we are above you right. know in a condescending manner, because the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, we're all the same community. And ultimately, you know, we just have a responsibility because of what we uh, have learned and what we've been exposed to. Um, just as much as there are people who have poured, to, poured into us, help us and still do 
provide for us in other ways that they have the opportunity to. So right. that was really my thought process. Absolutely. So, Dr. Mabry, we have talked extensively about your education, which, again, I find fascinating because I don't know much about the engineering field. But at some point, school is done. You got to go to the real world. So how was the job market, finding a job? Where did you end up working? And I guess kind of what where did your career go after finishing grad school? Yeah, I actually went right into a bridge design firm. Fortunately, I, you know, I wasn't even looking for a job before I finished. But I was able to get connected to a phenomenal, uh, another black engineer owner of a bridge design firm right here in North Carolina. And I started doing a little bit of work for him prior to finishing. And so when I graduated, it was just like kind of a natural transition to full time with him. And um, that was that was cool. Did a lot of going out into the field, inspecting bridges, putting my hands on, climbing up, you know, uh, taking data, analyzing it back in the office, giving them grades and ratings for how structurally sound they were. And then, of course, designing uh, newer ones and things of that nature. So that was really my experience probably for, uh, I would say, the last last seven and a half years or seven and a half years after graduation. What does the office look like for a bridge design firm? <laughs> like any other office. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, we we just got a room with a whole bunch of blueprints in them that are old that we're not using anymore. Uh, <laughs> and a big printer whenever we want to print out a large file. But you look like just any other office, you know, your cubicles, your, your reception, receptionists and things of that nature. And do you, is it like mostly government contracts? Do you work in the state or nationwide? How, how does that work? That's a good question, man. So the thing is, when you're dealing with bridges and transportation, Majority of them are owned by government entities. So, you know, each state has a Department of Transportation, which is like the number one client. So you're either working for them directly or you're a subtract, subcontractor for somebody else working for them <laughs> directly. Hmm. And so, that, that, yeah, the government owns most of it. Every now and then there may be some wealthy individuals that have a bridge on their park. <laughs> you know, I mean, on their property, you know what I mean? Or like I said, some park, something private that has some structures on it. But. I, I, I would venture to say that probably 90%, 80 to 90% of our work is government related. And what's a typical day like for you? Oh, it really depends, man. So, yeah, that is, you know, getting to the office and immediately jumping on whatever was incomplete from the day before. So it could be running the numbers and, and um, making sure you have a model. Because there, there are some bridges that are so complex that you almost have to build them into a simulation and then run some analysis on them. And so a lot of times just building that model can take time, making sure that everything is properly inputted, the right sizes, length, um, the right materials. You're telling the software the accurate information. And then you run it and you make sure you're getting the information that you need to then be able to determine whatever you're looking for, such as, you know, life left, uh, capacity levels, things of that nature. Um, like I said, other days I may just be out in the field for a day or two, driving maybe two, three hours away. Staying in the hotel, looking at maybe three or four bridges in a certain county here in North Carolina. And, um, yeah, occasional meetings. And with that being said, though, and that kind of, I guess, segue in, I've always been a person very, very involved in outreach. And my career took kind of a, a, a more of a transition this year that we're currently in by me starting to go more towards my work as a, um, I guess you could say, <laughs> STEM communicator, STEM educator. Um, an entrepreneur. So I often, even when I was doing a lot of that, would go to schools in the middle of the day at lunch breaks or 
perhaps schedule something in the evening where I could do just that. Yeah. And to that end, back in April of 2012, you launched STEM Media Incorporated. Mm -hmm. It is an education and entertainment or edutainment digital media service company. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, man. STEM Media, that is, uh, (laughs) that's my passion. And that's actually what I'm doing full time as we speak. Still on call as an engineer. I still work part time as a professor. Uh, adjunct professor, but STEM media is my main gig. And man, we're, we're building, we're essentially building the Disney, if you will, for for STEM content, science, okay. technology, engineering, and math. And we're doing it in a way that is empowering educationally and, and is providing representation, as you mentioned early, earlier. And so we have a, a number of things that we do, video production for a lot of universities, programs. Uh, we have our own platform, called STEM Media Network, which is a streaming platform at stemmedia.com, where we have some video series, we have some courses, uh, we have some podcasts like this one, <laughs> where we provide information to to elevate and empower and inspire STEM careers. So where did you, you know, what did it, where did this concept come from back, you know, several years ago when you first decided to launch? Yeah, you know, the story goes, <laughs> I actually have always been involved in a number of things creatively outside of my technical pursuits. I had an opportunity when I was just starting my PhD program to enter into this video contest with Intel, MTV, Facebook on campus about engineering. And I saw that as an opportunity to just try to leverage all of my skills. I got my, my beat that I used to try to rap on back okay, in the day. Okay. I got a friend. <laughs> yeah, I got a friend that uh, had a video camera that's pretty good and wrote this little day in the life script that I thought looked like a Gatorade commercial, if I'll be honest with you, or a Nike commercial. And answers to that, man, and um, long story short, won the national grand prize for it. Wow. And that was the launch of it. And from there, people uh, began to identify me as one who could help them produce similar similar pieces of content, similar experiences. It emerged from there to a platform on when social media became a big thing uh, in it. And um, never looked back, man. It's continuing to evolve. We got to STEM Success Summit coming up. I'm sorry. I know you. I don't know if you're going to ask about that, but we we have a an annual summit that we do every year as well that it has come as a result. Oh, absolutely. So, well, first we got to ask, how's your music career? Oh, you know what I'm saying. I, you know, I let them, I let them have it. You know, I let them have it. I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to take up. I didn't want to take up too much real estate. Right, right, right. In that domain, you know, you you can't you can't you can't hog it all. These <laughs> stuff for other people. <laughs> right, leave, leave something for the rest of us. Uh, so, the, and then the STEM Success <laughs> Summit, which absolutely—that's kind of when I first started seeing your name pop up. And I had to see who's okay. this guy who that who's doing this incredible content, um, super high quality stuff, and organizing summits. And that's when I first started kind of looking into to you and reading more about you. When did you launch your mm-hmm. first uh, STEM Success Summit? Yeah, so that that event started between myself and a co-founder of it, um, Justin Schaefer, uh, back in, we started our conversations in 2018. We launched it in 2019, along with some other individuals who were doing similar work in STEM. But I had already had STEM Media. It was already a platform growing as it is now. And so STEM Media um, is the host and, and, and operator of it, producer of it. And we've been able to really garner a lot of support from sponsors over the years. The first year was just all us, the media, you know, we didn't have a single corporate sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people on the team, 
cover their own expenses to help get things done. And um, man, it's just amazing to see how far it has it has grown. And, and this year is our third year, and we're looking for uh, we're expecting three thousand wow. in, in in registered wow. attendees. So we're just excited about it. So what did the STEM Success Summit look like in 2019? Oh, it looked like a bunch of Zoom presentations <laughs> on uh, on YouTube. Okay. And the thing is. And the thing is, it was before virtual events was ubiquitous. And I, I like to point it out because it's so normal now ever since, you know, COVID. It's like every event, even the ones that were typically online, I mean, typically in person, became virtual. Right. Um, but however, we had already had one one crack at it. So it was a no brainer for us at that point to say, hey, let's do this again even better because it sort of leveled the playing field between us and your, you know, your well-established conferences across the country. Gotcha. So, yeah. 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 This year we we were even more excited. Got some more people on board, excited uh, keynote speakers. And if you are down, man, come check us out again. You said that's how you heard about me. Oh, come yeah, check yeah, us yeah, out. Yeah. You and anyone watch listening. <laughs> um, so so what does it look like? What does the STEM Success Summit look like in 2021? 2021. Oh, man. Like I said, we, we went from we had about a thousand. We just barely cracked a thousand in terms of registered attendees first year. Last year we got two thousand. This year, again, we, we're aiming for three. And uh, we, we are doing it on a platform that has an app you can download. It's going to be a whole lot more uh, attendee interaction available. We have 20 to 30 speakers, some phenomenal keynotes lined up that we will be announcing soon. Um, some fireside chats, including Dr. Kismikia Corbett, who's mm-hmm. going to be a part of it this year. So we got, we got that happening. We've got some creative performances coming up, some giveaways this year. We're excited to be providing this will be very interesting to people listening. Some healthcare scholarship, CVS Health, right? We're going to be announcing those that information too. But CVS Health has actually provided money to provide scholarships for a few students, current students, to go directly to their tuition program. So listen, you got to be there. You got to be there if you <laughs> if this interest sounds enticing to you. You got to be in the virtual building, and you don't even have to buy a plane ticket. You don't got to get a hotel accommodation. All you got to do is log in. Why? Because it is F R E E free. That was going to be my next question. Free. That's why I hadn't signed <laughs> right up, enough. man. I thought you were going to charge me. Oh, you know, hey, it might not be free forever. Let me just say that. It might not be free forever. If anybody's wondering, you know, you're actually 2021 right now, but it may be a different answer for 2022. <laughs> Get on board yeah. early. So what what uh, demographic are you trying to reach with this uh, STEM uh, Success Summit? Yeah, young, young professionals in STEM. Young professionals. So, you know, we're not necessarily that platform where we're trying to convince people to go into STEM. Mm -hmm. You know, we understand that some people may choose different careers and that's fine. But we're basically saying, hey, if you have chosen to go into a STEM career, but you're still trying to figure out ways to navigate forward, a strategy, okay, what next? That's the demographic we're going for right now. And um, as I said before, we like to show representation. So we have predominant features of, of black and brown individuals and experts bring in the content. Doesn't mean that it's exclusive. <laughs> Anybody can come and learn from these incredible, brilliant professionals, but that's what you'll see when you come. And what has been some of the feedback that you've gotten from previous summits? Oh, man, they love it. A lot of people say that it's great. It's great. And, you know, it, it almost like ups the ante for us as a team. It makes <laughs> us say, okay, we got to come with it again next year. We got to keep the brand building and growing. But, you know, we love it, though. So it's, it's not even like an overwhelming feeling of pressure. It, it, it's a uh, it's a you know grateful anticipation to continue building the community and providing value in this way, and so you know STEM Media continues to be you know um, supportive of it in terms of everything that we have going on. You know, I 
I have uh, led the production of other summits of other brands, um, but we won't bring that up right now because we talk about our summit. <laughs> but with that, with that being said, man, I, I can say that this is this has always been a highlight of the year, highlight yeah. of the year for us as a company. I'm sure it's a lot of work, but obviously uh, very rewarding. And, and the dates for this year's STEM Success Summit, I have Wednesday, November 17th through Saturday, November mm-hmm. 20th. That's it. Uh, November 17th through November 20th. They're, those are the dates. And where do people go to sign up? You go to stemsuccesssummit.com. That's the main website. But if you want to get directly to where you you know you get your ticket, register your free ticket, just go 2021.stemsuccesssummit.com. Gotcha. And that'll take you directly where you can put in information and you, you're, you're good to go. Get the free, the free ticket this year. Free ticket. Yeah, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my gosh, Dr. Babry, it's been so great talking to you. As we wrap up, what is, I guess, your favorite project that you worked on? You, you mentioned what it's like to drive around and see something that you created. Is there a project that you have out there that that is just the ultimate, your your absolute favorite? Oh man, I absolutely do. I, I um, so I did my research, as I said, on structural monitoring of carbon composite material. And one of the things when you're doing research in grad school, you sort of know that, all right, there's a good chance your research is going to get buried in some library somewhere, some repository online, and probably won't make it out into your career. Mm. Not only that, right, in civil engineering, because so much of what we do affects the public safety, our innovation is very slow. Things do not speed to the to new technology because there's so much risk involved. Well, I had an opportunity to apply what I learned in carbon composites to a bridge here in North Carolina that extends off our coast, beautiful bridge to one of our islands right off the coast. And they had some repair that they needed to get done. They didn't really know how um, to use this material. So I was instrumental myself in helping to draft up some procedures for using it. And also it's currently, you know, being, being applied to the main span, sort of the center piece of that particular bridge. And I always think about it, man. You know, I, I uh, hmm. when I did it, I wasn't uh, licensed at the time. So my senior, my senior at that time, engineer, was the one who who stamped it and his name is on it. Oh, <laughs> like he no. get the credit, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm not tripping because ultimately, I, I know that that was that was special for me to have that opportunity. Man, that that's incredible and definitely something that's unique to the field that you you work in. And, and as we close, what would you say to students that are, you know, in high school, maybe in college and think they might be interested in becoming an engineer? Oh, yeah. Exposure. Go out and take a look. I told you how I had this paid internship, but I enjoyed it and I want to see so much more that I just really volunteered. Now, I already had a job, you know, working minimum wage or what have you, but I wanted to make sure still that I had an opportunity to see more so that I can um, I can be more. So if someone's interested in a career, nothing wrong. Go and look at Day in the Life of Structural Engineer on YouTube. Look up Day in the Life of Civil Engineer, Day in the Life of Mechanical Engineer. Get an idea. Call someone who you may see online that's in your city doing similar work. Say, hey, can I set up an informational interview with you? Can I just come and shadow you? So get exposure to it. You start seeing uh, what you probably don't like, but you also can start seeing what you do like and pursue that. That's good. Well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's conversation. Definitely check out stemsuccesssummit.com where you can sign up for this free uh, free event in November. Also check out the content over at stemmedia.org. We've got a lot of great stuff going on there. 
Dr. Mabry, where can people go to find out more about you and to see what you're up to? Uh, yeah, my personal website, nehemiahmabry.com. Uh, you can go, that's, that's my, sort of my uh, storefront. Check out some things I'm doing. I like, I do have some coaching programs that I do um, on a small scale basis. So yeah, more than happy, more than welcome to come reach out to me. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Mabry, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors Podcast. Oh, man, it was, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley.